0: Welcome to the Basana Health and Wellness Podcast. At Basana Health, we focus on whole body wellness, connecting physical, spiritual, and mental well being. We are wellness collaborators with our members, and we embrace our community partnerships. Basana Health promotes holistic and functional care while focusing on transformative lifestyle changes. Welcome to our podcast, where you can take a virtual step towards optimizing your own health and wellness. Welcome to Basana Health & Wellness. We had the opportunity with our One & Wellness group to host James Maskell this past week. James Maskell is a health economist who started the Functional Forum and has actually written two books. He's written The Evolution of Medicine and The Community Cure. And the Functional Forum was started by James, which was actually the world's largest integrative medicine conference and it had record-setting participation online with growing physician communities around the world. James Maskell has been a great proponent of functional medicine and furthering the practice of medicine. With his most recent book, The Community Cure, James talks about the importance of group medical visits and how we can help to bring communities together, working to solve concerns such as social isolation chronic disease, escalating costs, physician shortages, care access, and affordability, physician burnout, loneliness, and mental health. We had the pleasure of listening to James at our One in Wellness meeting, and we have a recording here for you, and we will jump into the meeting here. Thanks, James, and we hope you enjoy this recording.
1: So seven years since I started the Functional Forum has been sort of uh, my effort at sort of Trying to do something about it and and leading the way. And so one of the the first things that that we saw was building communities of practitioners was actually probably the first thing that we needed to do. You know, so many practitioners who were practicing functional medicine, even seven, six, seven years ago, you know, couldn't have a normal conversation with their other non-physician, you know, with other physicians. Right. Um, and you needed that sort of the the positive reinforcement. In fact, I would tell you, you know, and it's actually natural. If you, I I interviewed a super interesting guy one time who's a marine biologist. And he said, when, if you look at muscle beds and the way that muscles form, when there's lots of resources, they sort of form randomly in the muscle bed. But when there's lower resources, oxygen and food, they form in clumps because they need the positive reinforcement of other muscles in order to actually survive when there's low resources. And ultimately, I would say, you know, we were a very low resource community and, you know, becoming a little bit more resourced, you can see, look at the companies coming in to support the technology coming in to support people starting to realize out in the world in Silicon Valley and all these other places that, whoa, actually like chronic disease reversal is not only possible, but like a super elegant solution. And maybe we should be, you know, maybe we should be um, thinking into what we could do to support. So the resources are coming around. But why this this group is really exciting is, you know, just to give you a little bit of what's happening on the practitioner side, you know, uh, at one point we had 400 meetup groups around the world of practitioners getting together. We realized that our like Eventbrite plan was a little bit like low tech. So one thing that is going to happen next year, which I'm really excited about, is that we are going to launch a technology to really um, allow groups like this and groups, you know, there hopefully hundreds and thousands of other groups around the world to actually create a real technological infrastructure to be together. And that could be events, that could be emailing, it could be putting, uh, putting on local events, having a list of practitioners for the public. It's a technology for local groups of practitioners to really, you know, form a lot more of a stronger technological bond to reinforce the meetings that are going on uh, right now. So that's, That's sort of the evolution of of the meetups. And why I'm really excited to be here today is because this is a meetup. And also there's a lot of the original energy of the original functional forum in New York, where it was not just practitioners, but it was digital entrepreneurs as well, because we realized that that was kind of like the nexus of where change was going to occur. And we were going to put our own effort to try and facilitate that change. But it's just as well, if two people met at one of these events and went forward together and did it like, we played our role, and everyone's good. As long as it happens, we're all in for it. So, what I want to do tonight is—is is just, I guess, share with you sort of some of the, some of the what we've done, the hurdles that we've come across, and what has to come next. Because the mission is still the same. The mission is like we're all love flattening the curve, right? We all understand that now. Well, there is this curve that needs flattening, and it's the cost of healthcare, right? And the only way that we can really flatten the curve, in my estimation, from 15 years of kind of trying to solve the puzzle, we need to get vast swathes of the population to, to a point of self-efficacy, right? People to a point where they're not, you know, using the medical system, where they're independent of it, living in a, a farm with, uh, you know, with, with food growing, and, and you know, uh, in reference to what we were just talking about a minute ago, but that's, that's the goal. And I don't think, for medicine generally, that hasn't really been the goal. Um, depending on you know, what part you play in medicine. We, medicine today is a perfectly working cash machine for businesses, but it's not really working to create health. And so I think there's a lot of people that feel kind of aligned to that, that moment. So the first thing that we realized is, look, we need to have way more functional medicine doctors. And that was the sort of original effort uh, with the Functional Forum was to make functional medicine like fun and cool and sexy and aspirational, right? Something that doctors would want to do. And, you know, they told us at the beginning, like, if you don't have CMEs, no doctors would watch, but, you know, throw in some Daft Punk intro music, put Kelly Brogan on the first show and like people showed up and it was cool. Like we, you know, we realized that there was really like seven years ago, there was no B2B content for functional medicine doctors. There was literally no free content. You either went to the $5,000 seminar or you didn't have it. There was nothing. So it was like, it was uh, interesting to put out that content and, you know, the, pretty much since we started that, it really feels like the universe has kind of had our backs. You know, Hyman announcing the Cleveland Clinic on the fourth episode, the first time we got the streaming working. Um, There was some, you know, some incredible moments along the way like that. So then you start realizing, wow, 30,000 doctors watched this episode of the show. That's really cool. But does that mean there's 30,000 more functional medicine practices? No, because there are tons of doctors that are, you know, wanting to practice functional medicine, feel the like moral obligation to do it, but still aren't doing it every day. And so we needed to actually help practitioners make the journey across to functional medicine. And one of the things that was in 2014, I would say in 2014, 15, 16, you know, there were very, very few examples of functional medicine being done well on insurance. I'm excited to say that there are more and more starting to pop up where people are working out how to do it, which is interesting. Um, but ultimately it was, you know, we, we came across this, or we sort of popularized this model of the micro practice because one of the things about building a big functional medicine practice that's very intimidating is the capital. Like the average doctor didn't have 500 grand to put into a building to build out this total thing. And there was so much wreckage of doctors that did have that money and messed it up because it's really hard to build a practice with tons of independent contractors and HR and whatever. Like that's not, that's a heavy lift. So, you know, 2016, we kind of pivoted the the program towards, look, let's try and get doctors doing this, you know, doing this every day and practicing in a low overhead environment. And, um, you know, that was the sort of focus, obviously, communities of practitioners coming together. You know, we're making some progress and now there's more functional medicine doctors around. Still, we're not anywhere near like having an impact at a population level. And actually it was like necessary, but definitely not sufficient to solving the problem because now you've got all these doctors that are outside insurance and charging cash. And yes, you might be able to convince some poor people to part with their last $3,000 cause they got type two diabetes, but that can't be the plan, right? That can't be the master plan because ultimately, you know, in America today, 60% of people can't afford $500 out of pocket, right? We're living in a two tier society and it doesn't matter how, you know, how well the well-heeled get, we're not gonna really make an impact on either cost or get longevity going in the right direction again if we don't help everyone. And so that really set me on sort of like a a different path to really understand how is that even possible? So what I wanna share tonight is just some things that came from the book, couple diagrams, and then just get into it. And ultimately, my goal here tonight is maybe to just, but if I can inspire any of you to really think through there might be some easy ways that you could, you know, just just tweak the way that you're practicing in order to try and open up new pathways for more people to be involved in the practice. That's it. I'm super glad tonight to have like a range of awesome physicians doing great stuff. Dr. Christopher Moat is in the house. His practice is just down the road. He's going to be referenced here uh, shortly. All right. So, you know, so this comes from the book. You've all got the book here. Um, It was awesome to, to watch. I mean, this is kind of what I just said. Look, health is dropping off from age 27 we've got the sickest people ever it's not going that well this is from blue cross blue shield i mean ultimately what we realize is like you know even if we did an incredible job at this top two like medical care is is responsible 20% of health these healthy behaviors maybe we could get into some of that in the clinic um but then these socioeconomic factors that are driving you know, so much of, the, uh, of, the, of what goes into health are never really, you know, never really being addressed. And ultimately, what I started to, you know, start to see was that, you know, that, that health was, was biopsychosocial in nature. Our health outcomes were made up of biological aspects. So there are real biological, physiological aspects why people get sick. There are physiological aspects, uh, or oh, sorry, psychological aspects, And then there are social environmental and ultimately you can't solve a biopsychosocial problem with a purely biological input, right? You can't out supplement someone who's, who's lonely. And as I started, you know, this, this actually came up in uh, 2015 at an IFM conference where it was like, Hey, High social stress, loneliness is actually the biggest driver of all cause mortality, like more than smoking, more than alcohol, more than physical inactivity. And look at all the money, effort, time, public health dollars that are put into all those things. Never mind nutrition, which is you know lower than those things too. And I'm like, look, if we're really the root cause doctors and we're the root cause movement in medicine, is this the root cause movement in medicine? Like I'd like to think that we are. Like there's kind of like a big root cause that's like slapping us all in the face. And even worse, like it's it's got way worse, right? I wrote this book. It came out in January, and everything's gone even worse. Like I pulled these slides out in December, and this was talking about British millennials having the worst well-being. There's a there's a stat there in the corner that says 22% of millennials have zero friends, right? So we we've actually you know society is creating, uh, you know, if we think it's bad now, it's going to get really quite a lot worse. And so, you know, we really need to like dig into this, you know, dig into this problem if we're going to come up with a, a solution that's actually capable of of being the elegant solution that, you know, that we'd all like to see. And, you know, this is a great quote uh, that I found along the way. Uh, you know, I think, I think if we've been in practice doing functional medicine at some point, we've probably, we've probably shouted self-care at a few people because, you know, this is the the one part of medicine that was on to self care a long time ago, but you know, through doing the research for the book and, and, you know, starting to like really understand what it was like to practice in a federally qualified healthcare center is like, if someone has, you know, two jobs, three kids and no car, they're not doing this smoothie, and they're certainly not doing the yoga regime. And so, you know, there has to be a sort of a, a different level of, of support to support in those, in those social determinants of health. So just to contextualize, like, just to go back a bit, you know, why, why do I believe, like, why did I call it the functional forum? Why am I so invested in functional medicine? And I guess one thing I want to share with everyone here and everyone who's, who's listening at home, like, I'm going to spend the next 10 years, the next decade trying to convince people that what they think functional medicine is, isn't what functional medicine is. Like, if you're interested, if you think that functional medicine is like, um, Esoteric labs and supplements—that's fine, and you can think that. But I'm gonna—I'm gonna try (laughs) to change the perception of functional medicine from that to what I actually think it has the potential to be, which is an operating system for um, a—an operating system for medicine, a clinical operating system that can actually uh, unify. Uh, disparate practitioners who speak their own language into a common language that can actually be the operating system for the future of healthcare. I believe that that is what it's, what it's capable of being. And just because it wasn't that for the first 20 years of its existence, you know, doesn't mean that it's not going to be that in the future. So that's just like my own personal mission over the next little while is to reinvigorate that. And, and I hope that some of you can right, understand why that's important. And, and why functional medicine? Well, the the drug based or the pharmaceutical based approach for chronic disease like is not working or or i would even say has not worked right almost in the past tense you know we live in this insane world today where on one hand you know you have in silicon valley like them using health coaches and diets and kind of quote unquote functional medicine to reverse diabetes and yet like the average doctor you know, or endocrinologist doesn't even know that that exists. And these two, you know, we're in this kind of middle world where we all know that it exists, but like still not being practiced. But this this is from Nature 2017 that basically shows that if you look at the number needed to treat for the top 10 grossing drugs in America, hopelessly ineffective, right? And so what are we going to do? Like if you see Crestor there, you know, that's one in 20. If you look at the number needed to treat, what are we going to do for the other 19 people, right? Because Crestor's not going to work. Um, and Humira there, the third one, um, that's one in four, that's $6,000 a month, right, for Humira. So what are we going to do for those three? You know, it didn't work there. I mean, you can't look at this and ever think that the drug-based model is, is working, right? It's an awesome graphic for sort of disarming that, that, um, that nature. Obviously, we had Cleveland Clinic, validating functional medicine in JAMA for the first time. I'm super excited that later this year, I'm I'm hoping there's going to be more data from the Cleveland Clinic, uh, particularly about what we're going to talk here in a minute. But the first time I was at a, uh, a conference in 2011, having spent six years in the space and, you know, really tried to learn everything about all the different disparate groups and what they were doing. The first time I saw this, I was like, you know what, like I feel, I feel like most people could agree on this and that, you know, there's a whole organization of like doctors and coaches that are trained in like a common language. And actually, you know, one of the things I want to say about it is that, you know, I was trained as an economist. And one of the things that appealed to me about functional medicine was that there's a, a system for prioritizing integrative interventions. And just to give you some context about what that looks like is that, you know, if you're in functional medicine, you know that you could have a type two diabetes patient, you line up 10 of them, and you start looking at the root cause. And there's very different root causes across those 10 people, even though they all have type two diabetes, like these five, it's a mania food thing that's led to the lack of insensitivity. These three, um, it's like toxins, and this two, it's stress as the dominant reason why it's got there. Well, you know, ultimately, what we need to do is identify what the dominant thing is and treat accordingly. And if 10 people come in with type 2 diabetes and all we have is an eating plan. Five people will get better, but these other people won't because it's not what caused it. And so having a way of sort of maximizing the marginal benefit of certain interventions just really like appealed to me as an economist because suddenly there was a way of making you know, what was kind of inefficient now suddenly very efficient. So this was kind of why we decided, okay, we're going for functional medicine. We're going to functional forum. And we're going to, you know, hitch our wagon to the functional medicine movement because we believe that you can't really have a movement when everyone's speaking, when they're not speaking the same language, right? We need to be able to speak the same language to move in that direction. And, and I hope that these functional forum meetups, you know, one of my hopes for them is that we can all start to learn the language so that we can all understand each other better. And, you know, if you're running a multidisciplinary practice where you have a lot of different practitioners. How do you decide what practitioners you see? Does this person need an acupuncturist, a chiropractor or a Reiki session to go along with the thing? Well, let's look at the seven, you know, what, what's going on with that person? Like what does the physiology tell you and what would be most effective to repair? So this is why I think, why functional medicine, right? And this is why we sort of double down on that. But, you know, we have to be real and, and start to talk about like, why not functional medicine because <laughs> you know, this is one of my uh, quotes from the book is that, you know, personalized medicine, functional medicine is, is the future. But for people who are disempowered, you know, who don't have the opportunity to make choices like that, it's really a fairy tale, like the idea that there's this like sort of precision medicine out there in the future. It's a fairy tale for, for most people. And that's because functional medicine in its current form has been unaffordable, you know, inaccessible, inefficient, like, There could be any less efficient system spending ages with the least efficient with the most expensive provider long appointments all one-on-one you know and and that inefficiency actually leads to um, one of the, the saddest things is that there's been incredible projects to bring functional integrated medicine to um to hospital systems and they've all you know kind of gone through the floor because it's not profitable either, right? You can make more money putting in heart stents than you can um, than you can teaching people not to need a heart stent, and that means that when you know a uh, spreadsheet jockey comes in and decides that okay, the relative value of this floor and the dollars per square foot is not matching up, the integrative center is out, and that's a, that's been a, a sad reality of the last like half a dozen years, and so. Um, and also like you know still isolated right we still have really isolated individuals if you're doing one-on-one patient care you know you, you're not solving the, the the biggest driver of all-cause mortality one thing that i want to be realistic about with practitioners is that you know i i'm not so sure that like we're doing that well at long-term behavior change i think that patients get inspired to want to change in the short term but, and some patients will flick the switch and they'll change behavior forever because of your intervention. But how many people come back a year or two later with sort of the same stuff because the behaviors didn't stick and then, you know, the, the symptoms come back. If we're going to build a whole medical system around healthy behaviors, like we got to make sure that our system makes it easy to change behavior. And there's not a lot of evidence as far as I see to say that one-on-one uh, is, is working, you know, all that well. So the good news is, because this honestly could be a bit, little bit depressing, and I didn't want to like have a little depressing moment with you, but the good news is that the community is the cure. And that's what I'm here to talk about tonight, really, is to is to really focus in on not only like why the community is the cure, but, you know, sort of how that can happen. And what I want to share with all of you tonight is maybe just a couple of ideas of how you can start to, you know, implement this into uh, into your practices and start to, you know, just I know it's not an overnight change but I think it's I think it's something that anyone can start to think through where they can where they can do some of these things so I got my first kind of big speaking gig with this conference called Heal Thy Practice. Um, It ran for about five years, the first in 2010 to 2015. And it was really for disgruntled primary care doctors who wanted to try and practice integrative and functional medicine, but didn't know how. It was kind of a nuts and bolts conference. And I I heard Dr. Saxena speak. And, um, you know, as soon as I saw this for the first time and I heard that okay she's taking insurance she's you know practicing a little bit more like on the right in group and not just going you know from room to room to room I was like okay this is interesting like there's something about that 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 sort of resonates but you know the thing that I saw was kind of missing was you know in a one-off appointment on insurance do you really you know do you really create friendships right are you really solving loneliness or isolation in any meaningful way not really then I got to go to the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine and saw how they did it, and saw some incredible things there. Like one, people introducing people to each other, you know, was and 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 so they, you know, they were actually like solving loneliness essentially, uh, there by introducing patients who wanted to get better to each other, you know. And some patients were had new friends by week one. It was a ten-week program. Some by week five. Some by week nine. It depends how much trauma you've like had in the medical system or through your life are you willing to like trust but ultimately people were you know were building new friendships and and creating new community and the other thing I saw was that physician's assistants who had never heard of functional medicine and had never run a group visit were able to be like super competent in like six weeks compare that to the lifetime of education that it takes to go through all the modules and become the like functional medicine doctor like there was a there was something really um, exciting about the scale of of that opportunity and so you know this was this also came from the book is now you start to think about like how do groups really affect biopsych you know how do they map onto this biopsychosocial health issue that we identified it's unbelievably healthy for the individual right you're teaching self-efficacy um you know you are they they're able to build like self-regulation of emotions Do, does anyone here have any patients that are having problems regulating their emotions right now you know it's it's that's the way of the world i mean that's exactly what's happening with with covid uh, engagement um learning skills or techniques like a lot of being healthy is like skill development really more than anything and so you can do that individually, but then it starts to kick off into interpersonal, organizational, and it has these knock-on effects that go throughout the community. And ultimately what I realized is by by sort of delivering functional medicine in a group, we were able to take all of the sort of things that um, were holding functional medicine back, not just were like improved a little bit, but were actually like completely flipping on the head. And now things that were a huge disadvantage were now – you know, a massive advantage. So where once it was unaffordable, now it could be affordable, it could be on insurance. Where once it was inaccessible, now it could be kind of, you know, everywhere. Where once it was super inefficient, now it's like hyper-efficient, right? One, one practitioner, 15 people billing on insurance, you know, the, the dollars per, you know, per square foot is, is starting to make a lot more sense. You know, instead of going from something that's still isolated, we have people deeply connecting with each other right, people starting to unwind some trauma, people starting to have to be listened to, right, to be loved, actually, by listened to by a group of people, to really experience that. The last thing is, and this is something that I think we have to just honor as the fact, if you, if you asked a doctor in 1940, if you asked a doctor if you went to the AMA conference in 1939 or before the war and you said, hey, uh, can you, is alcoholism curable? they would tell you like, definitely not, right? Alcoholism is a scourge, you know, it's incurable. If someone's alcoholic, they're an alcoholic. And now here, 80 years later, we know that alcoholism is totally curable. And what you don't give people is drugs and doctors. What you do give people is accountability and mentorship and support. And that's what, what, uh, you know, turns people around. So, you know, if we know how to change behavior, and you know, ultimately, what we have to realize is that the majority of these lifestyle-driven chronic illnesses have a lot more in common with alcoholism than they do with infectious disease, which is what our whole health system was built around. I just wanted to like, set the tone with that, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time sort of talking about some easy applications that practitioners could be making right now in their practice of, sort of implementing you know, some of these ideas. I actually this week's podcast uh, was with with Kerry Sutton and actually Dr Mote here is another guy who is really on the cutting edge of you know really thinking through the patient orientation process. Kerry Sutton's story is is interesting in that They went through six years of developing the perfect patient orientation. It started off with a lot of information. Six by six years later, it wasn't being done by the doctor. It was being done by the front desk. And as opposed to just telling people stuff, they would tell people stuff for half an hour. And then they would actually like start to get people to share why they were there because what they were really seeding for was the group visits that they were gonna be delivering. And they realized if if we made it sexy and aspirational to be a functional medicine doctor, One thing that is going to have to happen in the next decade for this plan to work, it's going to have to be kind of sexy and aspirational to be in a group. And one thing Alcoholics Anonymous is not is sexy or aspirational. Most people don't think they want to be in a group. All of their group experiences have been hyper, hyper traumatizing, right? Family, high school locker room, uh, your first job, right? These are all communities that you're thrust into are typically kind of disempowering, and then you're like, "Oh, do I really want to be in a community?" Like I remember that being kind of traumatic. Like ah, I'm going into that group, and it's only like a last-ditch thing. These groups are not like that. Like the groups that Dr. Mo and others are writing, I know that these are empowerment machines. Right? We are creating a, uh, you know, a, a, what is created is like a vortex of mutual empowerment. Wayne Jonas said to me in an interview once, it's like doing a group visit is like having 15 unpaid health coaches working for you. Cause you've got all these other people in the group that are like holding each other accountable and supporting people, you know, peer to peer. So to go back to the orientation, she's running the orientation and she just gets so used to it. And they started it because they realized the quality of the single patient interactions were so poor because so much of the visit was being taken up talking about stuff that definitely should have been done in an orientation. So they build this orientation, then guess what? COVID hits. And they're like, oh, we can't do the orientations anymore because no one can come in the front line. Don't worry, let's just stick everyone on the schedule and we'll get through it. And then to have that moment where now new people are coming on the schedule who haven't been through the orientation and realizing in that moment just how critical that was because now these appointments are super annoying because all the questions that should have been answered in the orientation are not being answered. So they actually pivoted, went back to the orientation, are doing it online, and it's actually kind of better than ever um, because any, you know, people don't have to drive to the office and take three hours off for a one-hour appointment or a one-hour orientation. They can do an hour from, you know, from work or, or virtual. So that's one example. And I think, you know, with Dr. that the practice that you're working with, I know one of the visions that you have is is to have... Uh, people come in and sort of get an idea of all the things that are available in the clinic and then sort of plot their pathway through that, you can see that the functional medicine operating system sort of orient and orienting people to that is a wonderful way to, you know, to start that. And it could be even complemented by the next idea. I put this in the book, but Dr. Lara Salia, she was the first person that innovated on this through our practice accelerator and decided, hey, the most cumbersome annoying, slow part of the functional medicine process, the long intake to really get down to you know, the root cause was something that you know, maybe could be done in a group and tried an intaking group where twice a month, groups of 18 people would come together and work together to plot their own um, you know, functional medicine intake. And the benefit of it was that now it was like hyper, hyper, hyper efficient in that you know, that people were doing it themselves. You know, ultimately we're talking about a paradigm shift from the doctor being the patient, the sorry, the doctor being the most important person to the patient being the most important person. What could signify that shift better than having the patient write down the stuff, right? The patient, you know, you're starting to like, you know, actually use the neural pathways in your brain. You're starting to like really connect things. You're, you know, you're writing things down. Like that's a really important part of owning your health is starting to actually participate. And she also found that people would ask great questions. Like some people are introverts, some people are extroverts and listening to other people talk about their experience was um, was actually super valuable for everyone in the group. And so, you know, I would love for you guys to think about what are some ways that, you know, you could be able to bring people into the clinic? And, and to give you an example, like if we're talking about access, part of the reason why Dr. Salia did this was because she realized that building her functional medicine micro practice, it was still 400 bucks for a new appointment. And in rural, you know, Monroe, Wisconsin, there really wasn't that many people that had $400 to drop on functional medicine without being sort of taken on that journey. And by giving a $30 offering where people could come in, do the whole intake and leave with, you know, one of the six IFM food plans, it was like a really nice, gentle entry point that didn't cost a lot. And guess what? Half the people afterwards would be like, well, I need to make an appointment because I realized, I realize the value of what you're doing. And as long as I'm just watching videos and I'm not really applying it to like who I am and my own health history, like it's just this vague concept, but doing the intake, Really brings it into like real life, like this is how my grandfather died. He was a minor. there may be some transgenerational epigenetics coming down the pipe for me, and it 's not my fault and but I can still do something about it you know so that 's a, a super interesting process to really engage people into the information and again, like if you 're onboarding people into a multidisciplinary practice to be able to you know have them go through that process and then see okay, what are the areas that i 'm weak and what practitioners you know, in the, in the practice can actually help me with that weakness, you know, is, is starting to tailor, tailor the individual uh, the the services inside the group uh, inside the, you know, the practice and starting to like maximize the net benefit of each individual uh, of each integrative therapy, because it's being used on the people um, that probably need it the most. The third one lab review, like lab review is annoying right? It's slow and it can be a frustrating experience. When I when I decided I was going to write this book, I just put the APB out. I was like, I want to learn from anyone who's doing anything innovative in groups. And one of the people that came back was Dr. Moat. And I interviewed him about his group lab review. I mean, it's kind of weird you sitting there and I'm telling you all about it, but he's right there. He's Christopher Moat in Tedfield, Colorado, best name in functional medicine, cornerstone community care. Um, and, you know, ultimately what I, what I see is there's a couple of things. So one, just think about like in the lab review, in many things in functional medicine, 90% of the information that you're delivering is the same and 10% is targeted. And yet it's saying it over and over again. So whenever you feel that you either want to think about technology or you want to think about community. And so by saying, okay, anyone who does a Genova panel this week, like the next step is to come to the Genova panel Uh, session and it's this time, people come in and they get their labs and, you know, Chris could talk you through, Christopher, sorry, could talk you through uh, exactly um, how he does it and sort of like the, you know, everyone has questions about HIPAA, but ultimately people are dealing, they have access, they have their own medical information and ultimately um, they have their own medical information and, and what you're doing when you're talking them through it is really talking about what the numbers mean, right? What does this test mean? Uh, and engaging them into like sort of what they what's being tested, rather than going into sort of the individual uh, individual pieces there. And again, like this works really well digitally now in the era of COVID, because for those of you who have done lab review one on one, most of the time, I, I would guess you're probably doing that with on the computer screen, like you're bringing up the labs and you're showing it to them. And so, you know, doing this in a group model, you know, in a virtual group um, can, be, can be super effective too. And ultimately, what we're doing with all of these things here is we're sort of taking the most inefficient parts of functional medicine delivery, putting a, a, a community spin on it and making them hyper-efficient and sort of like creating now opportunities where, um, you know, where we can, uh, you know, create, create more access. And then the last one here, you know, behavior change. There's, there's many different examples that I, I could give, but, you know, if we're going to build a, a healthcare system based on behavior change, we need to operate in a model that does behavior change well. And, you know, that you can learn that from the Cleveland Clinic, like at the Cleveland Clinic, it's like you have to go through the 10-week group in order to qualify to see the doctor. There are some doctors that do it the other way around, where you get the individualized care first, and then you're put into a group to, like, Learn how to maintain the healthy behaviors that you just learned, and keep that momentum up over time. And look, I know that there's a lot of innovation still to come. Actually, I'll tell you uh, on the direct care uh, portion. Like, I'm about to have another child, and there's a um, have a new pediatrician in uh, Sacramento. These two sisters, they so have a functional medicine pediatric practice. They created this group, this uh, level within their direct, you know, their membership practice called the Bambino series, for those of you who've been in primary care, you know, what what is a well-child visit, right? A well-child visit is like measuring and vaccines, right? That's what primary care is, and that's what mainstream pediatrics is. Compare and contrast that experience of being measured and vaccinated with, you know, having small groups of four parents coming in at one month, two months, four months, six months and spending time and meeting other parents and hearing from that and learning about functional medicine and learning about keeping their kid healthy and having time with the pediatrician and paying a lot less than one-on-one care and actually getting all the benefits of being with other parents. And, you know, group visits have actually always been wonderful for, for pregnancy because you, you know, it's very easy to develop a, a group of people, all have the same issue happening at the same time there's like a date and you can just work it out from there you know behavior change in a group is a is another thing that is you know is a is a core strength you know i would love to you know to to just really engage i guess with this group as well and you know if if there are if there are things that you are finding to be a blockage in in running an efficient practice and particularly in covid to start really thinking through like is there a way that this could be done you know through community support I want to just, again, give a big shout out to to Ortho Molecular and the Lifestyle Matrix Resource Center, because those guys were seven years ahead of this whole thing. And those, you know, the group visit toolkits that were created are an incredible resource. I mean, there's one thing to actually decide that you're going to practice a different type of medicine. It's quite another thing to do it and to do all the patient education and systems and so you know, one of the reasons why we were excited to sort of partner with them, the Lifestyle Matrix Resource Center was that they had really thought through the educational side of um, creating handouts and information and education uh, to really reinforce um, a, a, a effective patient care. My main man Ticknat Hahn, is is struggling a little bit with his health. Well, not struggling, he's, he's making his way to whatever's next. But this is a quote that is kind of attributed to him and at the beginning of the Functional Forum, just like really my, my partner Gabe and I, kind of it's been part of this, the story of functional medicine is that, you know, he, you know, community is the guru of the future. We need to find ways to facilitate people this peer-to-peer delivery of value, right? Peer-to-peer delivery of value is the only inexhaustible resource that we have in healthcare and we're using it to 0% of its capacity. And something that comes up all the time is you, can you do, can you do hyper individualized care, which functional medicine is, can you do that in a group setting? And the truth is, you know, it's, it's blending group and individual. Like certainly you can see from, you know, Dr. Lara Salia, everyone leaves with one of six IFM food plans. That's individualized medicine. That's way more individualized than anything in the conventional space, and that's being done in a group. Can individualized medicine, you know, lab, the lab review with Dr. Mo? That is hyper individualized medicine, just happening in a structure that is, you know, taking advantage of the, the peer-to-peer dynamics. I guess this is kind of like the state of of the evolution as far as where we are today as an organization, and what I'm going to be spending time on, and you know, what I hope that everyone is going to be spending time on in this next while is one you know we need to you know we really need to reinforce the communities of practitioners and ultimately i'm so grateful to to tanya and to you know all the other meetup hosts around the country and everyone who feels called to lead because we need to create these positive feedback loops uh, with practitioners by getting them together and we hope to make that a lot easier for people we're going to bring in people who benefit most from this all happening, which is like the supplements and the labs and all the other ecosystem players. We're gonna bring them into the mix. They're gonna you know support the you know growth of these meetups. Um, we've already had organizations that have said, okay, we'll run the meetup for every capital city in Europe. Like, you know, there's there's definitely a, a need for that. Obviously People aren't meeting at big conferences anymore, like for right now, I'm sure that small groups is gonna come back before big conferences. So we hope early in in the beginning of the new year to be able to roll out that. And we hope that the uh, South Denver posse will be one of the strongest ones in the country, I have no doubt, uh, with the talent that's that's immersed here. And you guys all have a copy of the Community Cure in in your bag. You know, I guess I just wanna finish by saying like, this book came out in January, COVID came along, and essentially, if there's one chapter that I would love all of you guys to reread or read again, it's chapter seven. Because that chapter was called the future. And suddenly the future became the present. And you know, some of the things that I, I see happening in, uh, in the future that are happening in the present now, it speaks to what I see of the what the future of healthcare is, is. Functional medicine as the operating system, right? Functional medicine as a unified language to connect the practitioners that are actually capable of supporting patients to reverse chronic illness. But, you know, what that will actually look like, I, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, excited about seeing some of the models that are out there that I would describe as uh, commu- decentralized community care. And just to put that into context, in COVID, I think one of the things we realized is that possibly sending all the people that had an infection to one physical building was a terrible plan. <laughs> and it's sort of like a, a hangover of, of, of this sort of old medicine that is kind of losing its relevance. And, you know, to, when I interviewed my buddy Cheng Ron and heard that to send everyone home with an oxygen, I mean, imagine Imagine, imagine, how the, imagine how the world could have been different uh, had, you know, every high-risk American, right? Everyone with a chronic illness or everyone over 70 gone home on Medicare with a, an oxygen saturation monitor, right? And that was being monitored by clinics like yours. And if at 90, if they dip below to 95%, they got a virtual visit. Someone called them and said, hey, you've gone down to 95%. Are you like exercising or, you know, what's going on over there? And you know, say so that if it drops a little bit further, they could have someone come to the house. You know, they could send over the D and the C and the zinc and all the stuff that we should all be taking anyway, and what the base, the bedrock of functional medicine is. Um, and you know, imagine, imagine how that would have been. That is community decentralized care, right? That is groups of people being connected online through these groups, and that is you know actually uh, in real time getting data from patients about their health today. Like, that is not only possible, like, that is happening. And all of us could be on the front end of of facilitating that locally. And part of my goal for this, you know, this next phase is to really make it easy for doctors to execute that kind of care. Because, you know, John Weeks said this to me at an interview recently. He was like, look, allopathic medicine doesn't really do groups, right? There's some groups, diabetes educators, there's a little bit, but they, they by no means embraced it this could be ours, right? This could be our thing, right? Functional medicine, integrated medicine, naturopathic medicine, all of that, we could grab and run with this. And if, if group-delivered care became synonymous and was always infused with the functional medicine operating system, that would give us so much credibility because all of the things that allopaths don't like about functional medicine, the esoteric labs, the supplements, all the things that they complain about, it's the opposite. We're literally talking about groups of people coming together and empowering each other to be healthy, right? That takes all of those arguments off the table and makes us look not like like all the worst stereotypes about the medicine go away and we step forward into being the future. And I think that's what's possible for all of us. And so my goal in this next decade, like the, the last decade for me was really about getting more doctors to do functional medicine, right? This next decade is about large scale access. And I know that there are, there are people in this, in this room and listening to this who will just build a slightly more efficient version of their current functional medicine practice and it's fine, right? That, that there's, there's so much that needs to be done on that end. But I know that there are also people that are called to, you know, to really take this forward. And I'll, I'll give an example. So one of the things that happened this year, my friend, Dr. Jeff Egler, uh, was hired by Adventist Health. So Adventist Health was started by the uh, Seventh-day Adventists. And you would think those guys who have a blue zone that they created through their healthy behaviors, you'd think that the whole 30 hospital, 30 hospital, 300 medical center, 35,000 employees, you'd think that they would all really understand health creation. But they had to hire a functional medicine doctor because they realized no one in their organization really understood how to reverse chronic illness. So Dr. Egler went there. And the pre-COVID and now even post-COVID, you know, is realizing that, you know, there is nothing more aligned. There is nothing more aligned with the Adventist brand and, you know, the feeling of what that, what that group is than, than this group visit model infused by healthy behaviors. And, you know, there's an example of now an organization that has a lot of juice being sort of guided towards this at a, at a sort of a, uh, at a system-wide level. And in the next few months, that Cleveland Clinic data from the groups is going to come out. And that, I put it in my book because I heard Mark Hyman lecture about it over two years ago. That's how long it takes to get stuff into JAMA or wherever it ends up. But in that study, half the people who go through the 10-week, two-hour-a-week visit, they never need to see the doctor because they're just plain old better. They're better. They don't need to see the doctor. They're better. And the other people who aren't better, they can see the doctor or they're en route. But these are the kind of efficiencies that we have to create into the system if we want to take over and become the standard of care. I hope that this has been a little bit informative. You know, I hope that, you know, that, uh, you know, we're here as an organization to help, you know, to help practices sort of align to this. There's a range of, you know, there's definitely a range of ways for everyone to be involved. You know, everywhere you are right now is exactly the place to be. And, you know, there's so much uh, potential for us working together in community. So thank you for the opportunity, Tanya. And thanks for having me.
0: The sauna health and wellness podcast is brought to you by Atagi Plastic Surgery and Atagi Skin Aesthetics. Check us out at AtagiMD.com, We offer plastic surgery, skin aesthetics, non-surgical treatments, and hormone therapy. Some of the many things we offer include Botox, Dermal Fillers, Exilis Skin Tightening, Kybella, Skin Aesthetics, All Therapy, Vanquish Fat Reduction, PRP Hair Restoration, PRP Breast Lift, and Hormone Health. Follow us on our website at atagymd.com to learn about all of our specials and events each month. Some of our specials include monthly discounts off products and services or wrinkle-free Wednesdays. Check us out at atagimd.com.